Sometimes I imagine what it must have been like to be Mary or Joseph, or what it must have been like to be one of the disciples of Jesus, or even to be the earliest follower of Jesus. Now I want us to imagine what it must have been like to be in someone else's shoes, to be James, the brother of Jesus. James must have had an upbringing unlike anything you could ever imagine. Now, some of it was pretty normal. Sibling squabbles, chores after dinner, moments of laughter, and even moments of tears. That was pretty normal family life. And yet, James must have had an extraordinary thread running through his life. Can you imagine what it must have been like to hear about your brother's birth? King Herod killing all those babies in search of him, and then he's supposed to be the savior of the world? What would that have been like? To hear about your brother at the temple, mom and dad left him there on accident, to return to the temple to find him, leaving everyone speechless with his wisdom and understanding. This is the one scripture spoke of who grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. How would you yourself measure up to this when you attended school together and the expectations for you were so high? What would it have been like to walk in his shadow at a very young age? What would have happened when he picked his disciples and went around teaching and healing everyone? We know that many people thought that Jesus was amazing, but there were those who thought that Jesus was possessed that he was out of his mind, that he was dangerous. What would it have been like to go with your mother and brothers to that crowded house that day? The plan was to rescue Jesus from himself. Even your mother thought that at this point, this nonsense is crazy and that Jesus needs to come home with them. Imagine what it would have been like for them to get there and then to hear him deny his family And to say it this way, who is my mother and brother? What would it have been like to hear about the arrest, the trial, and to see your brother brought before the authorities to be sentenced to death? To watch as the soldier dragged him off to be brutally beaten and tortured to within an inch of his life, only to then be made to carry his own cross up that hill to his death. What would it have been like to see him beaten, bleeding, and broken, hanging there? A sign above him that read, King of the Jews. What would have stirred in you when he cried out, It is finished. How dark would that day have been when your brother's life was ended? When so many mourned while others rejoiced, the earth quaked, darkness descended, and the temple curtain was torn in two. What would you have thought? And what would you have felt the moment you heard that he wasn't dead anymore? That he had somehow miraculously done what no one imagined could be done? That he had arose from the grave defeated death and that he is alive. 
What questions? What doubts? What emotions? And then the moment when he appeared to you, standing before you, saying your name, James. At that moment, would you have believed? Would I have believed? Your brother, could he really be the savior of the world? What would it take for you to believe? What would it take? I want you to imagine with me for a moment, if you would, that your life is a game of poker. Some of you like poker. But these chips represent your life. Everything that you have, your time, your talent, your treasure, your plans. What would it take for you to bet on Jesus? And maybe some of you are here right now and you're just saying, I'm not a person of faith, Bob. My chips are my chips. Jesus doesn't get any of my chips. I get that. But maybe you're here today and you're just thinking, I don't know enough about Jesus, but maybe I would be willing to give him a chip or two. Maybe some of you have been around, know enough about Jesus where you're just saying, you know, I I would put a nice little stack up there and bet it on Jesus. But what would it take? What would it take for you to take all your chips and push them in to the middle of the table and go all in for Jesus? To say that he is worthy of everything that I have. He is worth everything that I could possibly offer. What would it take for you to do that? I'm gonna show you my hand. I'm gonna play my cards. I think Jesus is worth everything that I have. And I'm gonna be so bold as to say, I believe he is worth everything that you have too. And I know that some of you are saying, oh, come on, bald pastor guy, you get paid to say that. No, I don't. I can say anything that I want, but I believe to the bottom of my toes. He is absolutely worth it. And you will find life like you were intended to live when you come to that place where you see him for who he really is and you're willing to push all your chips to the middle of the table. Since we're playing a little poker here, I'm gonna show you my hand and keep the cards all face up. I'm gonna let you know right now, I've got an agenda. It's not a hidden agenda. I'm gonna tell you exactly what it is. I want when you leave today outside of those doors, wherever you are on your spiritual journey, that there's something in your heart that's saying, maybe Jesus is worth my life. Giving him more of my life than he has today. Here's what I know about an Easter weekend. There are people from all over the map in terms of where you're at on your spiritual journey. There are some of you here today that you just say, I am not a person of faith at all, but I'm so glad that you're here. And here's what I'm praying for you, that when you walk out of those doors, you would at least be curious. Maybe there's more to Jesus than I thought about before. I know that there are some of you that probably showed up here today and you haven't been in a room like this for a long, long time. You've been away from God for a while. And you know what I want to say to you? Welcome back. I'm so glad that you're here. And I want you to know that you can find a home here with us. 
And I also know that there's probably some people here in this room that the only reason that you're here is because you know in a couple of hours your mama is going to call you and ask if you went to church for Easter. And you don't want to say no again this year. There's a thousand reasons why you showed up here today or you're watching online. I just want to say welcome. I'm glad you're here because this is an important day in the life of our church because we're talking about the most important thing in our faith, the resurrection of Jesus. I'm glad that you're here for us to talk about that because the resurrection of Jesus, it is the centerpiece of our faith. It is the hinge pin of everything that we believe. All the weight of what we think or believe rests on the reality of the resurrection of Jesus. And it was the resurrection of Jesus that changed everything for his little brother, James. It's interesting, you saw in the video, James had the most interesting seat on the bus, didn't he, in the life of Jesus? He got to see everything. This exemplary life of Jesus, he saw it all. The teachings of Jesus, he heard it over and over and over again. He understood the theology of Jesus. But until the very end, until he saw his brother raised from the dead, he didn't believe. He didn't believe his brother was who he claimed to be. Isn't that crazy? You get to write a book of the Bible, but you don't even believe in your own brother until you saw him raised from the dead. Now, don't get me wrong. James, I believe, loved his older brother. But James did not believe that his older brother was the Messiah. He did not believe that he was God in the flesh. And before we get all judgy with James, let's just sit back for a second and think about your family. What would it take for you to believe that one of your siblings was the savior of the world? Don't, don't elbow your brothers and sisters right now if they're in the room with you. But what would it take for James it took the resurrection, seeing his brother raised from the dead. It changed everything for him. But it wasn't just James. The resurrection of Jesus changed things for all of the disciples, all of his closest followers. And this is why this is so important for us. The roots of our faith are rooted in an event in history. Did the resurrection of Jesus actually happen? Is this an actual event in human history? Because if it did, friends, that is the proof and the promise that not only was Jesus raised from the dead, but we can be raised to new life in this life and in the life to come. It's the basic message of Christianity. Here's how Paul described the simple gospel message, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul says, I want to remind you of the gospel. That word means good news, this message that I preach to you. For what I received, I passed on to you as a first importance. He said, this is the most important thing right here, and it's this simple, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. When Jesus died on the cross, he died in our place to pay the penalty of our sin. He took the sin on himself that we deserved to die for according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day, 
Again, according to the scriptures, that's the message. That's the good news, the greatest news ever announced, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. But Jesus began to appear to people. He showed up in the lives of people. Verse five, and then he appeared to Peter and then to the 12. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Do you get what Paul is saying? Writing this years later after the resurrection of Jesus. He's like, people saw him. We all saw him. You can go talk to them today if you want to because this was an event in human history. Verse seven. Then he appeared to James. That's where everything changed for James. Jesus is the proof and the promise then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also. Do you understand what I'm saying, friends? There's such a uniqueness about the Christian faith. It is rooted in an event in human history. It's not rooted in the teaching of Jesus, as important as that is. It's not rooted in the theology of Jesus, as important as that is or his philosophy of living, his worldview, his code of moral ethics. All of those things are important, but the truth of Christianity is rooted in the resurrection of Christ, an event in human history. So when the message of Christianity goes out, it doesn't start with, here's how you should live. This is what you should do. It starts with, this is what was done for you by Jesus in history his death on your behalf, hanging on the cross, paying the penalty for your sin, being buried, being raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, as a proof and a promise that we can be raised to new life in this world and in the life to come. But there's a question that we've got to ask. Did the resurrection really happen? Did it really happen? Happen Because if it didn't, friends, Jesus is just another teacher like any other teacher out there that taught some profound ideas, yes, died a noble death, yes, but has nothing to say to our world to bring hope to this life or life to the next. If the resurrection didn't happen, friends, we are in big trouble. And Paul's gonna tell us we're wasting our time. Here's what Paul says, 1 Corinthians 15 again. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Paul's just saying, if this didn't happen, if this event in human history didn't happen, we should be doing something way better with this beautiful day in Bozeman, Montana than sitting here talking about an event that didn't happen. We should be hiking the M, fishing a river. But we're here because this is an event in human history. Paul goes on to say, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are above all people most to be pitied. 
Do you hear what Paul's saying? If this didn't happen, people outside this room looking in at us should just shake their head, pat us on the head and say, I feel so sorry for you. Believing a lie, giving your life to something that didn't happen. But Paul is telling us it did happen. The disciples, James, are saying it did happen. And that's why they said, Jesus is worthy of everything. He is worth my life. And they pushed all their chips to the middle of the table and said, I'm all in for you, Jesus. If this is true, then this matters not just for this life, but in the life to come. There's nothing in this world that matters more than that. Jesus, we're all in. Christ's resurrection, friends, it is the proof and the promise of our resurrection. Because Jesus went before, the Bible calls it the first fruits. He went before, we will also be raised to new life. I love that song that we sang at the very beginning. If he's walking out of the grave, we are too. Because of what he did in human history. The resurrection changed everything for all of those early followers of Jesus. It's so interesting to me when we look at Matthew's account of the resurrection. When we get to that chapter and it's talking about who was there Sunday morning expecting maybe, just maybe Jesus is gonna rise from the dead. Because throughout the life and ministry of Jesus, he said over and over again, I'm gonna die. I'm gonna be buried and on the third day, I'm gonna be raised to life. You would think that at least one of the disciples might have been a little bit curious that maybe Jesus was right in what he was saying, true in what he was saying. How many disciples were there that Sunday morning? Zero. None of them were there. But you know what else is even more ironic than that? Who was there? You know who was there? Roman guards. What were Roman guards doing there and the disciples not there? The religious leaders who also listened to the message of Jesus heard over and over, just like the disciples did, what Jesus had said, that he was going to be raised on the third day. And so they were worried. They said to, the, they said to Pilate, they went to Pilate and said, we need to make sure that you guard the tomb because these disciples are going to try to steal the body. And if they steal the body, they're going to start this legend, this hoax, that Jesus has been raised from the dead. And that deception is going to be worse than the deception that Jesus has already been perpetuating on the public already. Pilate agrees. They sealed the tomb. They covered it with guards so that nobody could get there. They put more faith in the teaching of Jesus. They were more curious than Jesus' closest followers. But that Sunday morning, there was an earthquake. The stone was rolled, and the tomb was empty. And that's what changed everything for those followers of Jesus. They were all out. They were scared and running. And who can blame them? They had just watched their leader die the most horrific death. And they knew if I identify with him, if I identify with his message, I'm going to end up in the same boat as him. I'm out. But what made them go from all out to all in? from faithless deserters to fearless disciples. What changed? They saw Jesus raised from the dead. 
and it changed everything. And it wasn't just that suddenly they believed the words of Jesus. They listened to the, thought through the implications of what that means. If this is true, that means that nothing else in this world matters more than this. What else am I gonna give my life to? And if this means that I can be raised with him, it doesn't even matter in the life to come. I don't have to fear anything. I don't have to fear death. Jesus, I'm all in. I'm betting everything on you. And that's what they did. Those early followers, they bet everything because they saw the resurrected Jesus. Wouldn't the religious leaders, I'm sure they wanted to produce the body, but it's really hard to produce the body when the body is out walking around and talking to people and marshalling them to be a part of a movement that will take this message to the ends of the earth. The disciples said, we're all in. We want to be a part of that message. And they started to take the message. They started to push the message out to the world. You know what happened? The world pushed back. They said, we don't want to hear this. And they began to die. They began to be martyred. In 44 AD, James, the son of Zebedee, one of the earlier followers of Jesus, was the first one. Herod said, decreed that he was going to be run through with the sword to die a slow, painful death. And the bloodbath began. One after another, after another, after another. Those first disciples were martyred for their faith, were martyred for their message. And here's what I've got to ask. If this didn't happen, if they didn't see them, if they didn't see Jesus risen from the dead, who would die for a lie? If they knew it wasn't true, why would they go all in and ultimately give their life? It's because it was true. It's an actual event in human history. And it's one of the things that historians have the hardest time explaining. How did this movement get started with these fearless disciples that were on the run after the crucifixion of Jesus? It's because they saw him raised from the dead and it was so compelling to them. They said, there's nothing else in this world that matters more. What better witnesses can we have to think about than those early disciples? I love how the French mathematician and philosopher Blaise Pascal said it. He says, I believe those witnesses that get their throats cut. It's kind of a graphic way to say it, but I think it's true. They saw him. And they went all in because they knew he is worthy of my life and it is worth it. This world has nothing to offer that is greater than him. Who would die for a lie? But the question is for us, are we willing to go all in? Do we believe that this event in human history is a reality enough to push all our chips to the middle of the table? I bet some of you are saying, I don't know. I've got some questions. There's a single verse that I want to read to you from Matthew's account of the resurrection that is one of my favorites because I think it is just honest and raw and vulnerable. And here's what it says. It says, when they saw him, meaning those early followers, seeing the resurrected Jesus, it says they worshiped him, but some doubted. Some doubted. 
Even seeing him, some doubted. They probably wanted to believe. This is unbelievable. This seems so great, but maybe too great to be true. And they doubted. You know, I I don't know what I would have done in that moment, but I can identify with doubts. And I bet you can too. I bet there are times that you doubt. Can this really be true? I mean, when, when we look at the world and the pain and the brokenness and the craziness that's going on out there, you just gotta ask yourself, God, are you, are you really in control? Do you really have this? And maybe it's not out there. Maybe it's just the things that are going on in your own life, the own hurt and the pain and the brokenness that you're experiencing, the terrible parts of your own life that make you go, God, do you really have me? Doubt. We all have doubts. I do, and I believe that you do too. So I'm not gonna stand up here and say, just stop doubting. Just throw your brain away, quit doubting. But here's what I'm gonna ask you to think about. Think about how do we doubt? How is it that we doubt? And I love how Tim Keller says it. He asks us this question. Are you willing to doubt your doubts? Are you willing to doubt your doubts? Or or is your mind just so made up? This can't be true. This can't be worth my life. You've already made up your mind. Are you willing to press in toward God with the questions that you have, that we all have? Are you willing to ask them of him? I love how Charles Spurgeon said it. He said, doubt is like a foot poised to step forward or to step backward in faith. And I think that's a great picture. Doubt, like that foot, is gonna be raised in our life along the way. But what are we gonna do with it? Are we willing to doubt our doubts? Are we willing to step forward, to lean in with God? Are we just gonna lean out and say, I'm out, I'm done? God is big enough, he is strong enough, powerful enough, and wise enough to deal with your doubts. Lean in, ask the questions, Don't lean out. And here's what you're going to find. When you lean in, you're going to see a hand reaching out to you that says, I got you. Follow me. Trust me. You can go all in with me. That's the hand that you're going to find. Why do I know this? Because Jesus shared this story about an interaction that he had with a young man. And it was an interaction where he was inviting this young man to go all in with him. Sometimes we call this the story of the rich young ruler. I mean, he had everything. Money beyond belief, all the money that he needed. He he was young. His whole life was ahead of him. Nothing but potential. And he was an influencer in a position of power He had everything that we think that we want in this life. And I bet he was good looking and he had great hair. I hate him. Come on, man. But he knew something was missing. So he shows up at the feet of Jesus and just said, Jesus, what does it take to find life? How do we find real life? Jesus throws out something kind of interesting. He says, keep the commandments. 
And this young man says, I've kept the commandments since I was just a little boy. I think Jesus had already kind of anticipated his answer. See, he, he had learned how to follow the rules, but he had not learned how to follow Jesus. And so Jesus says, if you really want to learn what it means to follow me, he plays a trump card in that poker game with that young man. And he said, take all your chips, sell them, give it to the poor, and follow me. Jesus said, go all in. For me, sometimes I think this might be one of the saddest stories in all of scripture. Because this young man looked at his chips on the table, pulled them back across the table in front of himself and said, I'm keeping my life. I'm keeping my chips. And the scripture says he walked away sad. Jesus invited him with the greatest invitation ever to follow me, to go all in, and he walked away sad. Do you ever wonder what happened with the rich young ruler? I do. Scripture doesn't tell us what happened, but I wonder when that rich young ruler became a rich old ruler, was ever sitting in that later time in his life, maybe even on his deathbed, thinking about that greatest offer that had ever been given to him. Follow me. Did those words go through his head? Was there ever regret? I wish I could go back. I wish I could grab his hand and follow him. The reason that Jesus tells that story is not because it's just an interesting story of one person's life. It's an interesting story because it's an invitation that he offers to every one of us. Sell everything that you have and follow me. Go all in. Jesus is telling us this world has nothing to offer you that is greater than me. Go all in. Are we ready to go all in? Is the reality of who Jesus is? Have we gotten to the place where we just say he is worthy? He is worth it. He is worth pushing all my chips to the middle of the table. Maybe for you today, it is time to ante up. It's time to go all in. Here's the deal, friends. Grabbing his hand, it costs you nothing, but it will demand everything of your life. See, some of us, we think we, think we can buy in without selling out. That's not how it works with Jesus. Go all in. Grab my hand. And I've said it multiple times, and I'm going to say it again. He is worthy. He is worthy of your life. He is worth it. You will have no regrets pushing your chips to the middle of the table. Grab his hand. You know, when Jesus made this invitation in the scriptures, there's lots of ways that people responded. Oftentimes you just see that people chose to just drop their life and follow him. Over the history of the church, there's lots of different ways we invite people to express their faith, to express their desire to want to follow Jesus with everything. Maybe it's praying a prayer of faith. Maybe it's raising a hand. Maybe it's walking an aisle. There's lots of things 
that we could do. I started to think, what would make sense in 2021 for us to indicate our desire to want to follow Jesus? I couldn't think of anything better than texting. So get out your phones. Here's what I want us to do. If you're at a place today and there's something in you that just says, I want to go all in with Jesus, every one of us grabbing out our phones. And I don't want you to feel compelled that you have to respond in this way. But if you have your phone, you can just text your mama and tell her that you're at church. She'll be so happy, so proud of you. But if you want to go all in, you want to just put a stake in the ground and just say, Jesus, I'm grabbing your hand today. I don't even know what I have to offer you, but I'm grabbing your hand today. This is what I want you to do. To the number that's going to be on your screen, 877-740-6760. I want you to text all in. No spaces, just A-L-L-I-N. All in. And then put your name and put where you're from. And just so that all the cards are still face up on the table, what we want to do to celebrate decisions of people putting our chips in the middle of the table with Jesus, the names are going to scroll up on the screen as we continue to worship together. He's worthy of your life. He's worth it. Let's pray. Jesus, I just want to say thank you by your great grace. You're willing to extend an invitation to us to follow you, to be your children. Thank you that you were willing to die on the cross in our place to pay the penalty for our sins. And thank you that you didn't stay dead, that you were raised to new life as proof and promise that we can be raised to new life both here on earth and in the life to come. Jesus, thank you that you did that for us. This world doesn't hold anything that's better than you. We surrender everything to you today, Jesus. We're all in with you. And it's in your powerful and resurrected name that we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Thanks for engaging with this content. If it was encouraging to you, we'd love for you to leave a review. Hit that subscribe button and share this content with others. We'd also love to connect with you. The best place to do that is journeyweb.net. Don't forget to follow us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Just search Journey Church Bozeman and you'll find us there. If you'd like to give to our ministry, you can do that now at journeyweb.net slash give. Once again, thanks for engaging with Journey Church.